Amen. We're going to uh, have another Bible reading and uh, it's from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to read from verse 17 and then into the first part of of chapter 4. And then Ben is going to come and uh, preach God's word to us. So do do open that up if you if you can. Philippians 3 verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia. And I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Father, as Ben preaches to us now by your spirit, uh, open our ears and our minds and our hearts that we might hear and trust and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a sermon that Pete preached a few years ago um, where he was preaching as he does uh, about a particular sin. And all of a sudden he got very serious and he got very somber actually and said, look, we, we don't do this very often, um, but I've been in discussion with the elders and we think that this is a significant issue uh, and we just need to address this. So um, I need to publicly declare that there is someone who is not welcome at Cornerstone Church. And you can you can imagine if you were there, you might remember. And if you weren't there, you can imagine that hearts started beating in the congregation and, and our palms got a little bit sweaty. And we started looking around going, who on earth could he be talking about? We started looking at the corner of our eye, seeing if there's anyone looking quite sheepish. Um, and then you started to think, oh, my goodness, what if he's going to say my name? And then you start to think about what on earth have I done recently or in my past? You know, oh, did he did he catch me at work the other day, uh, the way that I talked about that person? Or, or did he say, you know, whatever, did, does he know? Um, and sort of started panicking a little bit. And then he said, the person who is not welcome at Cornerstone Church is pride. Pride is not welcome here at this church. And the sense of relief that kind of swept across the congregation it's quite funny, really. But it was interesting. It made you it made me anyway think afterwards that normally we can shield ourselves a little bit from the sermon. Uh, we let it hit us a little bit. But when Pete threatened to name a sinner, you know, it's very easy to go. Yes, we're all sinful. Yes. I, yes, we're all sinful. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short before the grace you know, before God and I need the blood of the Lord Jesus. But when Pete threatened to name a sinner, and name a specific sin, then suddenly 
I, uh, my sin was brought before me in a way that uh, wouldn't have been otherwise. And I thought, you know, this is a real issue. I need to deal with this in, in my heart. So in that vein, I thought actually it would only be good and helpful to begin this sermon by addressing an issue that I've noticed in the church recently. Um, some divisions I've noticed, some, some murmurings, some talking behind people's backs, some disagreements and some falling out even. And after everything I've just said, I, I, I would actually like to mention two people that I've seen this in because I think it does need to be dealt with. So the two people that I've seen this in specifically are Euodia and Syntica. Look at verse two. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntica to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, that's actually Syntyche said that wrong, but there is no Euodia or Syntyche in our church as far as I'm aware. Um, so, you know, relief, whatever, just in case you were wondering. But here we are. Paul is approaching the end of this letter to the church in Philippi. He's been writing to encourage them. He's been writing to so that they would have no confidence in the flesh, to be of one mind and one spirit, to spur them on. Uh, and now he wants to take all of that that he said to them. And he wants to address a specific challenge in the church between these two women. So there's been a falling out and presumably this, this falling out is a public falling out because Paul addresses it and doesn't really give an explanation, which kind of uh, sort of looks like everyone knows what he's talking about. And if it wasn't public before, then it definitely is now because Paul actually names two people in the congregation. He pleads specifically with Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And you have to give it to Paul, don't you? I mean, he's got stones to do this. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't do this in a sermon. Pete probably wouldn't do it. But he wasn't afraid to be direct. He wasn't afraid to potentially upset someone or offend them or embarrass them in order to keep them in the faith. You've heard me preach on it, he says to Euodia and Syntyche. Now, I've heard you've got an issue. But look, here's your chance. Put what you've heard into practice now. Sort this thing out. And so as we look at these verses this morning, and as we look at how Paul deals with this specific issue, I think we've actually got a really great model here for how we should deal with our problems and our sins, our specific sins. So as we look at this, you could almost even insert your own name and your own problem, issue, difficulty here into this sermon. You know, Paul could be saying your name. He could be saying, I, I plead with you, Euodia, Syntyche, and you. After everything we've heard over the last few months preached, I plead with you now over this issue. So I've broken this passage that we've look, we're looking at into sort of four steps that Paul has followed uh, whilst addressing this specific sin in these women's lives. And the four steps are this. First of all, frame the sin in the context of who you are in Christ. Secondly, address the sin. Thirdly, accept and allow help. And fourthly, rejoice. Those are the four steps that Paul has followed and that we're going to look at this morning. So first of all, first step, frame the sin in the context of who you are in Christ. 
So he begins to frame this public address in verse one with therefore, which means that what he's about to say to Euodia and to Syntyche is said in the light and the context of everything that he said before. And what is it that he said? Well, first of all, he's he spelled out how we do not have a righteousness that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Therefore, we have no confidence in our own flesh. All of our confidence is in Jesus. Secondly, he's spoken about having not yet arrived at the destination. We are not a perfect person yet. We need to press onwards. We still need to work and to get up and to move towards the goal, which is Christ. And thirdly, he's told us to follow his example, not follow the example of the world. And therefore, as we follow him to be of the same spirit and mind, because we're all citizens together of the same city, heaven. So in summary, we are unrighteous, but Christ is our righteousness. We are not the finished article. So don't assume we're perfect yet. Therefore, let's strive onwards together, be of the same mind and spirit with citizens of the same city of heaven. That is what Paul wants to have as the backdrop. Uh, of what he's about to go into. That is the framing. And in addition to that, um, he then sort of overflows with this affection for people. Um, Just spills out of him. Look at verse one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So you've got brothers and sisters, you know, your family, You're my companions in this world. Christ has purchased you with his blood. He's adopted you into his family. That's who you are. That's the first thing. And not only that, but I love you and I long for you in my family. You're not just an annoying cousin in this family. You're not just the younger sibling that I wish had never been born. I miss you when we're apart. You're the ones who I love and I long for. My joy and crown, he goes on. And this is really beautifully fleshed out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So you are the crown that Paul will wear in glory He will want to display you in the presence of God and show you off because you're so beautiful in Christ. And therefore, his joy is wrapped up with your salvation. You're the jewel set in his crown. You're the treasure that Christ has given him and he wants to show you off with joy. You are his crown and joy. And then finally, dear friends, you know, as if he he hasn't conveyed enough affection yet, he just tags that bit on at the end. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Because of your citizenship together in heaven, because of your brotherhood and your sisterhood in God's family, because of the crown and joy that you are to each other, uh, because of all those things, stand firm in the Lord. Do not be swayed by what the world says or by sinful desires. Stand in the Lord and do not be moved. That is the frame around this address he's about to give Euodia and Syntyche. And that is what puts our sin into perspective, actually. It's, and that's the correct motivation for repentance, you know, because Paul is not saying um, you're a filthy sinner. 
you you need to do X, Y, and Z before I could even think about calling you my brother or my sister. You need to start working hard to earn your membership because you lost that. You gave that up. Um, and actually, you you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of you. And Christ is, is going to consider you garbage unless you change. Therefore, repent. No, he's not saying that. He's saying you're already clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are already adopted as my brother and sister in God's family. You are already the crowning jewel that I rejoice in, in the presence of Jesus. Therefore, dear friends, repent of your sins. Leave them behind. Stand firm in the Lord. That is the frame and context which helps us um, actually address the sin. And now we get on to the second step. Paul moves on to address the specific sin. So in verse two, after he's framed this, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Euodia and Syntyche have fallen out. They've disagreed uh, with each other about something. And we actually don't know what it is. Um, and we don't need to know. And actually, it's, it's not important at all what it is. It could be something really tiny that's just been aggravating them both for years. Or it could be something very devastating and dramatic. Uh, the point is not to resolve this specific issue that's come up now. That's just causes falling out. Paul wants to resolve a greater issue, which is that they're not united in spirit and mind. They're not behaving like sisters of the same family. They're not behaving like citizens of the same city. They're not treating each other like the crown that they will wear in the presence of Jesus. And now this is interesting because we see in verse three that these are not uncommitted sort of flaky, um, perhaps young church people. Uh, Paul says they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel and their names are in the book of life. You know, these are genuine, bona fide, saved gospel women. So Christian, do not think that you're immune from slipping into disagreements with your brothers and sisters. Even if you've been a Christian a long time, even if you've served faithfully in a particular ministry or service for many years, beware because this can still happen to you and does happen, as we see here, to people within the church. But it doesn't mean that you're not the genuine article. You know, your name is in the book of life if you're in Christ. It does mean, however, that the sin needs to be addressed. So Paul addresses the sin. And he actually brings responsibility on them both to be reconciled to each other. You know, perhaps as, as this letter was being read, Syntyche was there feeling quite smug with herself because uh, the first part reads, I plead with Euodia. And perhaps Syntyche was going, yes, that's right, Paul. I plead with Euodia too. I've been pleading with her for months. You know, she's the one who needs dealing with. She's the one who's unreasonable. But then he goes on, I, and I plead with Syntyche. Reconciliation is when both parties agree to come back together. And hopefully when they've got to this point in the letter, you know, we've had uh, three whole chapters before we even get to this point. Hopefully when they get to this point, their pride's been shot completely because Paul has banged the nail home that we do not have any confidence in our own flesh. We are not the finished article. Instead, hopefully when they get to this point, 
They're so taken up with what Christ has done for them to bring together people in unity, to help us strive onwards, you know, forgiving each other, spurring each other on, rejoicing in each other, that when they're publicly called out, then the thing that divided them before seems so insignificantly small. How could we have got so upset about this when we're united in Christ, when we are each other's joy and treasure in heaven? In comparison to who we are in Christ and in in comparison to what Christ has done, hopefully they would be reconciled immediately. So are you a Euodia? Do you have a syntyche in the church? Have you fallen out with anyone? Is there anyone you don't like? you know, perhaps you're annoyed by or a bit embarrassed by? Is there an elephant in the Zoom breakout room when you're together? Then look, brothers and sisters, in light of who we are in Christ, in light of this framing, in light of what Christ has done for you and for that person that you find so annoying, in light of how you will actually rejoice in that person in glory because their name is written in the book of life as yours is, then I plead with you, Alongside Paul, be of the same mind in the Lord. Our problems and differences are going to seem so insignificant in glory. You know, we're going to see each other as we were meant to be. And perhaps then we might regret a little bit not having loved each other a little bit more in this world, enjoying each other a little bit more in this world, serving each other a little bit more in this world. So think about yourself Do you need to apologize to a Euodia in the church? Do you need to clear the air with a syndicate? Do you actually just need to reconsider, you know, who your brothers and sisters in Christ are? Perhaps you've never thought about them as the ones that you're going to rejoice in the presence of Jesus with. You know, you're going to rejoice because of that person in front of Jesus. So would you stand firm in the Lord and be of the same mind? Would would we be reconciled? as a church now that is it's kind of easier said than done that and very often it's very difficult even when we frame it correctly we live in the light of this framing and we live in the light of christ together and that's why there's this third step which is accept and allow help look at verse three yes and i ask you my true companion Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So Euodia and Syntyche clearly need help with this. And Paul is the first one to say it. You know, not even the great King David himself uh, could do it by himself, could he? If you know the story, he needed Nathan to come and confront his sin could confront him with his sin and ask him to repent. You know, David would not have fessed up to what he had done until Nathan had helped him see what he had done. So look, in this world, we need each other for help. We can't always do it on our own. A simple rebuke, even this isn't going to be enough for most of us, probably. We need other people in our church family to get alongside us and patiently walk alongside us. We need to accept and allow help from our brothers and sisters. So two small applications whilst we're on this point. Firstly, and it might be obvious, don't deny help. Allow it, accept it. It's painful to accept that we need help, isn't it? Our pride finds it very difficult. 
And we sometimes convince ourselves that actually as a Christian, we, we shouldn't need help. We can do this. God will sort us out. You know, I will, I will work harder, whatever it is. But actually, Paul is setting the example that we need help. There's no expectation here from Paul that you can or will be able to do it on your own. You can't address your sin in isolation. You know, the church isn't a building to enter once you've walked on your own two feet comfortably for a certain amount of time. You know, I, I've not been able to stumble now for a few months. So, you know, now, now I feel comfortable going to church. No, the church is a hospital where we learn to walk alongside each other and help carry each other's burdens. So if you're struggling, you odia, to deal with your sin, then help is here. If you're, if you're, if you've messed up syntyche, you're not thrown out of the church. You're not blotted out of the book of life. We will help you to press on, dear friends, is what Paul is saying. Don't deny help. Accept it as a normal part of being a Christian even. Allow it. Second small point of application here is help people. Get alongside them. Ask them how they're doing spiritually carry each other's burdens gently steer people when you see them going slightly off course remind them who they are in christ and how they should be living since they're a citizen of heaven since they're in this family so have you noticed some tension between people in our church particularly at this time there is a lot going on isn't there there is a lot going on there's a pandemic there's political things going on. There's social issues coming up. Tensions are running high, aren't they? You know, people are snapping. They're losing their temper. We're taking sides on different issues and divisions can start to form very easily. So have you spotted that between anyone? Have you spotted that between yourself and anyone? We're often Davids, aren't we? Going back to King David. And we, we often need help ourselves, but we also need Nathans. So let's be Nathan when we can to each other. Let's help each other where we can. So that was the, that was the third step. And, and we've seen so far that we've framed the sin in the context of who we are. We've addressed the specific sin and we've accepted and allowed help. And the fourth step is finally rejoice. Verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You might think that actually that's a bit of a strange way to, to finish dealing with a sin. Because shouldn't you be sort of down in the dumps, you know, um, uh, feeling very somber and sorrowful and humbled and kind of like, yes, you know, uh, shouldn't you be like that? How can you possibly rejoice after having a sin publicly called out? Well, the reason we can rejoice in the Lord always, even whilst being Euodia and Syntyche, is because being in the Lord means that our names are written in the book of life. Look at verse three. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Regardless of their struggles, Euodia and Syntyche's names are in the book of life. And that is why they should rejoice. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples to preach in the nearby villages. And as they come back with these stories, they're rejoicing. And they say to him, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
They were rejoicing because they were going well in their faith. They were obedient to Christ. They'd been successful in this ministry. Things were going well for them. So they come back and they're rejoicing. And what does Jesus say to them? Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our joy shouldn't be based on the times that we're doing well in our faith, when things are going well for us, when we haven't managed to stumble for X amount of months or whatever. Our joy should come from the fact that our names are written in heaven. They're written in the book of life, which is true. If you're in Christ, it's true, even when you're battling away with sin or you need to be reconciled with a brother or sister. Your name and actually their name, that Christian that you need to be reconciled with, is in the book of life. And look, what's so good about the book of life? Well, in Revelation 20, we see that on Judgment Day, books are going to be opened. And these books record what we've done and what we fail to do in this life. And it takes the time in Revelation to say books with an S. There's reams and reams and reams of books detailing the deeds that we have done selfishly, sinfully, just to gratify ourselves. Can you imagine the the pages needed to document the sins of our lives? Just your own deeds, just my deeds. And there's there'd be no escaping. I mean, we can we can probably barely, you know, we, we're quick to judge people, aren't we? And we've seen them sin once and we think, well, condemnation. Imagine the, the reams and reams of books. There'd be no escaping or arguing on that day. There would be no arguing with God about our judgment at all if it were not for the fact that another book is opened on that day. And that book is the book of life. And in that book, there's not recorded deeds, but there are recorded names. And if your name is in that book, Christ died in your place. Christ took the record of all the wrongs that are in the other book and and he took them on himself. You will be forgiven if your name's in that book. You will live forever in the presence of God Almighty if your name is in that book. That is why you can rejoice, Christian, because in this world, even if we're battling away, even if we're a bit embarrassed and we need to own up to things and be reconciled with each other, we can be confident with Paul that our names are written in heaven. And therefore, as Jesus said, rejoice. And as Paul said, I will say it again. This is, we need to be reminded of this. He's laying this on thick. Rejoice. And so there we have this great model for us to consider how we battle with our sin. First of all, to remind ourselves who we are in Christ, then to identify the sin and to ask for help, then to remind ourselves that our names are in the book of life. There's no room, is there, for panic that if we mess up, then the blood of Jesus is not good, good for us, good enough for us. You know, we can't, we can't, if we frame our sin in that context, you know, beginning, Christ, end, book of life, Christ, then when we deal with this bit in the middle, we're, we're confident. We can take it seriously, but it's in context. We're not going to panic that suddenly we're not good enough. Our names are written in the ink of heaven in this book. So, Let's apply this uh, even more to ourselves. Who in the church do you feel some tension with? Who do you kind of wish was not around? Would it be just a bit easier if they weren't around? Perhaps if they moved to another church even. 
would it improve your experience of this church? Well, here again, this is what Paul says to you. Remember who you are and remember who they are in Christ. Your brothers, your sisters, your citizens, your jewels, treasure to each other. Therefore, be reconciled. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Do not move. Stand firm in the Lord together. Accept and allow help. Be help for others when they need it. And finally, rejoice because we'll battle away, we'll mess up, we'll fail, embarrassed, but rejoice because our names are in the book of life. And if they're in the book of life, then we will be with Christ and with each other uh, where we won't be um, arguing or falling apart for eternity. Therefore, dear friends, Paul says, I say, dear friends, stand firm in the Lord, be reconciled, be of the same mind in the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, short passage here in, in this letter to the church in Philippi. We thank you that uh, your word is so applicable. It was it was written to a particular group of people at a particular time dealing with a very particular issue, yet we can apply it today to ourselves. And we know that your word is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we pray that we would let this uh, affect us. We pray that we would um, not assume this is a message for other people, but that we would let it um, uh, hit us and change us and affect us. Please, would you cause us to frame our sin in the context of who we are in Christ? Um, please, would we rejoice because our names are in the book of life? And therefore, in that context, would we deal with sin confidently? Would we take it seriously, but also confidently um, that it is not a reason to throw us out, to blot our name out, uh, and therefore to, to praise the Lord Jesus all the more? Please would, if there are instances in our church, please would people be reconciled? And would we stand firm together in the Lord Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen.